Hey friends, welcome back to the Holland Christian Medium Talk podcast. Today we're visited remotely, of course, by former Holland Christian English teacher, current board member, and parent, Deb Van Dynen. Deb is a professor at Hope College and is a bit of a legend in the field of English education. She is the program director for the Big Reed Lakeshore, which essentially means she leads a book club for about 10,000 people or so each year. Pretty cool. Today she's going to share with us her love of reading and recommend a couple books to enjoy in this time away from our normal school days. I think you're going to love it. As image bearers of God, even in the darkest situations, there is potential for hope and light and kindness. And to me, good literature allows us and encourages us to live more deeply into who we are and who we are called to be as children of God. With the whole coronavirus quarantine, I think a lot of people I've talked to have had a little extra time to read and even do a little writing. And I thought, who better to talk to than Deb Van Dynen about literacy? So can we just start with this? You, you teach literacy at Hope. What exactly is that? What does that mean? And why is literary, literacy such a big deal? Uh, it's a great question because I think a lot of people don't really know what literacy is. In fact, my students don't know what it is until they spend <laughs> a semester with me and then they don't ever want to talk about the L word again. Uh, <laughs> um, I think literacy for most people is reading. Uh, and I try, I'm a sociocultural researcher, literacy researcher. And so oh, what wow. I look at, what I help my students look at is this expanded notion of literacy. So literacy is more than just reading. It's also writing, speaking, listening, talking. And we look at all the things that we do as humans around texts. Uh, so literacy practices are sort of everything we do around books. So it's not just reading a book. It's where books are in your house and how you hold them and who you read them with and where you read them and what you do after you read the book. So I love it because it really is like sociology. You are looking at human behaviors around words. And hmm. I find it fascinating. That makes me think of when I, I was really homesick as a kid. I never liked to leave home and went to camp one summer and I was allowed to take one thing from home and I took a book as kind of a, a comfort object. That's kind of a little <laughs> sociological insight there. Into <laughs> I didn't read it, but I just, I had it. <laughs> well, you know what? To be honest, I actually have a lot of parents tell me, they'll say, my kid reads the same book over and over mm -hmm. again. And I actually really think that's okay because... Reading the same book over, like what you were just saying, a comfort book, it can um, give us comfort because we know the characters, we know what's going to happen. Yeah. And so there's a reason that we like to read books over. I think we can get new things out of a rereading, but I think it can also be comforting to us. Would you say is that is that kind of like lame or healthy to have have friends who aren't quote unquote real in the same way? Or is there something good and important about that? Oh, I, you know what? I think with anything, it can... Anything in moderation, right? I think yeah, if you sure. do it too much, it's not good. But I think some of my best friends are book characters. <laughs> that probably sounds ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> some of the people I hold dearest in my heart are fictionalized characters oh, who totally. have helped me see the world, right? And understand God and myself and others. Uh, so I think I think it's good. And, you know, in moderation. So, Deb, this is obviously something that's so important to who you are, what's what you love to do. Can you tell us a little bit about your story of falling in love with, with reading in particular? Yeah, thanks. I would say I probably didn't have a choice, which um, <laughs> the larger context of that is I grew up with a father who was a principal and a mother who was a teacher. 
And their idea of family vacations really was extended field trips. So we would have Mm. journal writing and sort of all the school sanctioned activities would be our family vacations, which, you know, when you grow up thinking everyone does that, you think it's quite normal. And then you move out of the house and you realize how absolutely strange your family is. And now Mm. I look back and love them all the more for it. But no, I lived in a uh, reading rich, book rich, story rich house. And I have such fond memories of my parents reading books aloud to us, to me and my four siblings. We had lots of books and we owned lots of books and we went to the library probably every two weeks and brought a huge cardboard box. Maybe it's not as huge anymore, but when I was little, it seemed really huge. And we would fill it up. (laughs) The librarians would always sort of laugh at our family, but we'd fill it up and go home. And that was always one of the most exciting nights of the week is coming home with a box of library books that we could delve into. So I would say it sort of started like sort of osmosis, right? I always loved escaping in a book and using books to help me meet new characters and new situations and new circumstances. And then I uh, always loved my English classes in school and uh, started when uh, my undergrad at Calvin, I started uh, pre-med and uh, quickly realized that my passion was not in the medical field as much as it was in literature and in helping people think about ideas. So I made the switch to English education and have not turned back since. Kind of looking at young adulthood, were there any milestone books that really impacted you growing up? Well, if you want the full disclosure, uh, I would say this is probably very funny. Sweet Valley High and Judy Bloom books and Nancy Drew and Hardy Boy books were some of my all-time favorites growing up. And they most of those are not quality literature, but I really loved reading them. And I think one thing that I love about what my parents taught me growing up was it's just good to have a good overall diet of books. Mm. So it's okay to read some Sweet Valley High or as my kids, they love Big Nate um, it, or Diary of a Wimpy Kid. You know, it's great. Oh, yeah. We need books like that, but we also need books that stretch us, right? That um, expose us to different things. So to have a buffet, a smorgasbord of different kinds of books. Uh, So as I look back, I think I cringe at some of the books I loved growing up, but then I realized that it was a well-rounded diet of lots of different genres and authors. So Deb, in a recent interview with Wood TV, you were asked about a question you like to ask, and I thought we've got to ask you that question. You, You said you love to ask the question, tell me about a time you changed your mind about something or someone, and I'm curious do books play a part in that changing of a mind or, or growing of a perspective for you in your life? Absolutely. Uh, I think that's one reason that I keep getting drawn to stories is I love how a story or a character or something that a character is going through um, changes the way you think about them fundamentally um, as sometimes representing a group of people or a particular experience or time in history. I think one of the books that I continue to go back to and I talk about with my teacher education students at Hope Uh, Gary Schmidt, and he is one of my all-time favorite authors. His ability... The Buckminster Boy, that one one impacted me hugely. And Okay for Now is my favorite of all of his. But in that book, the main character is Doug Sweetek, who is probably a student that any of us as teachers would sort of cringe to have on first look because he's disruptive and he's rude and he seems unmotivated. But I love how Gary Schmidt welcomes us, walks us into his world, and we see Mm -hmm. such a different side. And we grow in empathy for him and his situation. 
And we see that um, if you just take his actions on the outside, you are missing this kid who has such capacity for love and hope and empathy. So it's an example, right, of a story that has changed my mind as I think about particular kinds of students or people or situations. Hmm. I love that. You know, I was reading recently that empathy is one of the real hearts of storytelling. The reason why we tell stories in stretching our perspectives, we gain empathy for other people. Could, Could you elaborate a little bit on what exactly is the relationship between fiction and real life? Because I remember being told, I mentioned this just a few episodes ago, I remember being told by a teacher I was reading one of the Chronicles of Narnia and he said, why are you reading that? It's not even true. How would you respond? What's the relationship between real life and fiction? I mean, it's a great, great question, I think, because some people look at that and say, fiction is not true and nonfiction is true. And to that, I sort of would just want to say, uh, let's look at the news. Some of that nonfiction is very much not true. (laughs) Um, But I love Tim O'Brien. He came to um, Hope College several years ago and uh, his book, The Things They Carried. um, He uses this concept of happening truth and story truth. And he argues that sometimes story truth is truer than happening truth. And I love that concept. And he uses it to to talk about his book. And um, a lot of people wonder if The Things They Carried was his memoir of being in the Vietnam War. And he says it's not. He says it's a fictionalized account. But he argues that the book is truer than if he had tried to write a memoir, because he argues that his story truth, and I I think good fiction does this, uh, it gets at, and I would argue as a Christian, capital T truths about our human condition or about who we are in this broken world, right? And, And how we can have hope and redemption through Christ. Um, he gets at the heart of what it is like to experience war and to experience trauma and to to weep and lament at brokenness. And I think by fictionalizing it, he's able to get at those in maybe more insightful or articulate ways than if he had sort of done a day-by-day chronological account of his experience in Vietnam. Totally, totally. As a Bible teacher, and it's hard to miss, I teach the Gospels Jesus's almost his entire ministry is in one sense fiction, right? I mean, he's Mm -hmm. constantly telling parables, telling stories, and yet those are the vehicles for communicating truth, right? I mean, the the really Mm -hmm. important things about who is God, what's God like? Mm -hmm. Jesus tells stories to get those ideas across. That's just fascinating to me. Well, and I just think we're in God created us to be inherently wired for stories. And I think about the parables too, right? If I think about who God is. I'll more quickly think about a parable from Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus' account of a parable, because I think it can sum up maybe in more concise ways, right, Uh, the truth of who God is and who we are to be in this world. I think that avenue is beautiful. And as Christians, like God revealed himself through story, and we live in this larger story. I mean, there's so many layers of story that we can go into. It's beautiful. Deb, as, as a high school English teacher and now college literacy professor, I'm sure you come across people who just aren't having it, who they don't like to read. They never have. What What do you say to somebody like that? How do you encourage them to discover all that there could be waiting for them in a book? Yeah. And sometimes I think that uh, well-meaning English teachers can sometimes 
destroy a love for meaning. Not any of them at Hong Christian, but uh, you know, if you think about what we ask students to do in a classroom, sometimes is just the antithesis to how any of us would curl up on a couch by a fireplace and read a great oh, story. Totally, yeah. You know, we don't do book reports or we don't do quizzes on chapters. We don't have you know all these sort of traditional things, and I think the ELA field as a whole is moving past that and, you know, you know, adapting to, to more authentic tasks. But I think for many people, they think about reading sort of as this school activity. And um, I think one of the things I try to tell people, you know, is all the different ways that reading can look. Uh, And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be like your, you know, old fashioned English classroom way back in the day. Uh, But then I also like to say that, uh, all of us actually read far more than any of us realize. I mean, it's everything from recipes to car manuals to newspaper sports uh, articles to websites to texts. So I always, when people say they don't like to read, I always just say, well, you don't probably like to read certain genres, but we all are reading a lot. And I can guarantee I'll find some texts that you enjoy reading, Mm. but it's probably not in the category you're thinking of. Yeah, I was a huge anti-reader, or at least I thought I was, as as for most of my young adult life. I just couldn't stand it. I, I It was very much a school thing, and not that I was a particularly cool kid, but I thought, you know, if I was <laughs> to become a cool kid, it wouldn't happen by reading. I, I always thought there was like some sort of bribe component to it. It was, if you read, then here's yeah. some ex- external motivation, you know. And I remember the very first book I ever read, I think it was maybe in ninth grade, I read The Wizard of Oz and it it just flipped my world upside down. I remember telling a friend like, this is like watching a movie in your head. And I, I'd never experienced that before. Totally being immersed in a different world with different characters. That was, I mean, it was life changing to the point that I decided to become an English teacher. <laughs> that is a great story. It's like, I almost think when I hear that story, it's sort of like uh, conversion stories or, you know, yeah, as we oh, think yeah. about our Christian testimony and how I sort of have this like boring literature conversion story because yeah. I don't even remember. It's like I was baptized as a child and that's my testimony, you know? Yeah, um, oh, it's so great. <laughs> yours is way more exciting. That's awesome. Okay, Deb, let's get to, do you have any book recommendations you'd be willing to give us for for this kind of COVID-19 quarantine situation? Well, I have to tell you, I couldn't even sleep last night, just giddy at the thought of coming up with these recommendations. It's like the best question you can ask. So good. Um, Someone like me. I think the worst question is when people will say, what's your favorite book? And then I break out into a sweat because it's sort of like choosing my favorite child. Sometimes I do have a favorite (laughs) child, but uh, it's hard. So book recommendations are great. And then I always feel like it's, you know, sort of like buying a piece of art or something like that. Like you really need to know someone's interests and you know, what they like to read, but I'm just going to go for some blanket recommendations of yes, books that I think could speak into what we're experiencing right now. Um, so should I start? Ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've all been waiting for, your 2020 coronavirus quarantine book recommendations from a professional reader, Deb Van Dynan. Well, for our younger readers, I am going to go with Mercy Watson by Kate DeCamilla. Have your kids read those books? No, I'm taking notes actually right now. It's a series of books. I think there's maybe eight of them and they're for early readers. And it's a story about a pig named Mercy Watson. And it's just delightful. It makes me laugh. And uh, it's a celebration, I think, of quirky and beautiful neighbors and a community. 
So I during this time of COVID when we're social distancing and we are longing for community, at least face-to-face and uh, in-person community, I think Mercy Watson is a great recommendation for us to celebrate the relationships that we have and maybe that we can be more proactive in getting after COVID is over. So Mercy Watson, I guarantee it'll make you laugh out loud. And it will, um, I love it. Mercy Watson's favorite snack is buttered toast. Ooh. It's quite good, actually, if you try it. I'm, re- I'm going to buy these, I think, today because we need I bet your girls will really like it. Oh, they're, they're, it's, what you just described sounds right up our alley, so that'd be great. <laughs> then along the Kate DeCamilla uh, De- De theme, I am going to go with Because of Winn-Dixie. I'm kind of going old school classic for some of these recommendations. Because of Winn-Dixie is a middle grade read. And it's the story of a girl who uh, has a single father and um, she finds a dog named Winn-Dixie. And in adopting this dog and coming to this new community, Opal finds friendship. And it's a ragtag group of people who are all broken in their own way, but they come together and it's this amazing celebration of the kingdom of God. That's my take on it. I don't know if Kate would say the same thing, but. I love this story. I have my um, seniors at Hope College read it, and sometimes they'll say, why are we reading a kid's book? And I always just want to say, a good book is a good book. And when you're younger, maybe you don't pick up on these larger themes or these ideas in the book, but there's a scene in Because of Winn-Dixie that I think is a picture of heaven, and it involves food, and it involves laughing, and it involves egg salad sandwiches and pickles, and it's absolutely lovely. you had me until the pickles and the, the egg sandwiches. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds fantastic. So that's for our middle grade readers. Uh, for our young adults, for um, sort of upper middle school, high school, this is kind of a dark book, but I have loved during this time of COVID-19, turning to literature, to seeing and reading stories of people who have showed resilience and have been experiencing hope in times that are difficult. And um, this is a book that takes place during World War II and it's called Between Shades of Grey by Ruta Sepetis. Okay, so this ends at the prequels to those other Shades of Grey books, is it? Which one are you thinking of? I'm joking, the Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> so, so here's a funny story. We read it for our mother-daughter book club, and some of the um, moms in the book club got the title wrong, and then they got the wrong book, and they were like, <laughs> what are we reading? <laughs> No, do not let it be confused with the, uh, what is it? Not to be confused with Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, okay, 50, help, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of books are we recommending here? This is good. <laughs> On Christian Book Club. Um, it's the story of a girl who is deported from Lithuania with her mother and young brother, and they go to a labor camp in Siberia. Oh, wow. The premise of the story is so dark, and yet... As I think about the book, and I've read it several times, it is a story of hope and our human capacity. And I believe it's uh, as image bearers of God, even in the darkest situations, um, there is potential for hope and light and kindness. And I love how this story reminds us of that. And to me, good literature uh, allows us and encourages us to live more deeply into who we are and who we are called to be as children of God. Mm, so true. So true. I'm dancing over here, Deb. That ain't yeah. 
<laughs> That's great. Uh, and the last one along similar lines, so a sort of our adult read, uh, I would say um, a book that I read several years ago and have reread recently is called The Cellist of Sarajevo. This is another wartime book, very different context and time period. It's the 1990s and it takes place in Sarajevo. And it's the fictionalized story of three characters um, in the midst of war during the siege of Sarajevo. And it sort of shows how when humanity is stripped of, you know, things that we normally find fulfillment in or accomplishments in, when that gets stripped away, sort of who are we? And um, it's about the power of art to remind us of our humanness. And as a Christian reading it, I see, um, I lament the brokenness, right? And what it can do to humans and what we can do to each other. And yet, um, I also love how the book shows us hope. Um, so once again, it's a book that is dark, but it's a book that's hopeful. And I need those stories during this time. And as we think about, we don't know where COVID-19 is gonna end and all the implications, uh, but we know the larger story, right? And we know that God calls us uh, to, to be agents of hope in this world. So those are my recommendations. Oh, so good, Deb. Can't wait to dive in. It's great. Enjoy it. No book report required afterwards, I promise. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so true. You know, when you just are able to enjoy a book, I'll often, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm on the nerdy end as a teacher, but I, I like to like take a book and do something with it. And it's ironic because when you're made to do that sometimes for school, I, I will resist it at all costs, you know, but I'll often take a book and want to write something or or followed up with another book. It's like, man, I think that freedom to actually explore and learn through literacy is powerful. It is. Yeah, it changes us. It changes the way we see the world and ourselves and God. I was thinking I do have a fun fact that uh, listeners might not realize. Uh, there is a 100 book limit uh, to check out at Herrick District Library. And I know that because I reached it at one point. <laughs> Do they give you a prize when you when you go to check out 100 books? They say, that's the limit. <laughs> they did not give me a prize. It was when I was teaching at Michigan State. I taught a children's literature course, and I wanted lots of picture books for my students to look at. We were talking about different genres. And so I checked out 100 books. Actually, I wanted to do more, but they only let me check out 100 my kids weren't old enough for their own library cards. Otherwise, I probably would have used theirs. <laughs> then nothing could have stopped me. I could have had 600 books. Uh, but the end of the story, really quick, is that I left the books in bags in the parking lot at Michigan State. Oh, no. And I drove home. I was living, we were living in Holland at the time. And it wasn't until the next morning that I had this panic that I realized those 100 books were all in grocery no. bags in the parking lot. And all I could think about was, I can't afford buying all the replacement fees. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, that could be huge. Uh, oh, it was crazy. <laughs> but there's a happy ending to the story, which is that someone found them and put them aside. And so I picked them up the next week that I went in. Oh, man, that could have, thankful it didn't rain. <laughs> the other fun fact really quick is I feel like I've achieved a significant accomplishment or standing in life. I didn't realize this when I got hired as a professor at Hope College, but professors can check out books at the Hope Library for not two weeks, not three weeks, for six months. <laughs> it That's is dangerous awesome. dangerous almost. <laughs> I might forget. <laughs> I was like, it was like a happy dance when I first learned that because I thought, oh, this is so exciting. 
So you know you've achieved nerdum status when six months is like one of your highest accomplishments in life. I'm going to have to go start a PhD program just to be able to have that six (laughs) months check out. Well, Deb, something I really love about you, I, I sense this regularly as a teacher that sometimes students don't hear everything you're saying, but they often pick up on what you love, what you care about. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a quote in a book by Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz, where he talks about how he didn't really care for jazz music, but then he saw a guy playing saxophone on the street and he said the guy had his eyes closed and he didn't open his eyes for just the longest time. And as Donald Miller walked away, he said, oh man, after that, I liked jazz music. Hmm. And you're somebody who models a love, not just for reading, but for learning and for life. And you're someone who I would connect those dots between learning and worship. And that Hmm. I don't know if there's anything more important to be communicating to our students as educators, that learning is worship. It's coming to life Mm -hmm. as we explore the world God's given us. Yeah. Amen to that. Yes. Thank you. Amen. Well, hey, I love the list you've given us. I think we'll be busy for a while. Look, sounds like we got some time on our hands here till uh, (laughs) next fall. So, Well, thanks for letting me do this. (laughs) 